If you're a dog owner, safety and welfare for your pet are of the utmost concern. But there are so many so-called experts out there that many of us don't know where to turn to get the expert advice that we need. Welcome to Taming the Wild and Your Dog with noted dog expert and author Brian Bailey. In this program, we give you the tips you need to connect with your best friend with the most practical advice. Now, here's your host, Brian Bailey. Welcome, everyone, to Taming the Wild and Your Dog. It's a beautiful day here in Memphis, Tennessee, so I hope the sun is shining down on you wherever you are. Now, we know what's coming up here in just a few weeks. If you're even thinking, about getting a puppy for someone for Christmas, I advise that you think again. It's hard enough to even buy shoes for someone or sunglasses that they're going to enjoy, let alone surprising them with a dog. You make that mistake and that could have consequences that last for years and years and years. And really just kind of rip the heart out of someone, let alone their finances, their furniture and everything else. However, If you're not going to surprise someone with a puppy and you're just thinking about getting that puppy for your children and you and the wife and everyone have talked it over and you've decided, yes, I do want to get a puppy. And I definitely want to present that during the holiday period or even right after the holidays. Here you go. There are some things that you need to know because, again, this is different. This isn't like getting a washing machine that, that maybe the wife wants or a new refrigerator or new even flat panel TV for the husband. You can return those. Good luck returning a puppy, especially after you becoming emotionally invested in this puppy. I'm telling you what, those little eyes of theirs, like I wrote in the description of the radio show, they are truly like black holes. When you gaze upon them, they'll suck in your logic, any sort of reasoning, ability that you have, your emotions, your heart, and it will just pull you in. And by golly, you are trapped for life. So if you're going to get a puppy, let's at least try to mitigate the risk in buying a puppy, uh, because there are definitely some risk involved. I tell you what, just a few things right off the bat before we even get into it, because what we did is we interviewed some of the top breeders in this country. We considered them to be top breeders for many reasons. One, they got an incredible track record. Their puppies proved to be very healthy, emotionally stable, uh, outgoing, very intelligent. Year after year after year after year, they're extremely consistent in what they produce. So therefore, we leaned on them and we went and talked to them and we gathered answers to questions that we had to make sure that we can help you guys if you're thinking about getting a puppy again, just doing the best that you can. And the reason why I keep saying that is because I don't care who you go to. Even these breeders will admit that anytime you purchase a puppy, you're rolling the dice. You really are. I don't care how great the mother is. I don't care how great the father is, the grandparents. I really don't care. I don't care how great the breeder is. At the end of the day, you're dealing with genetics. And genetics has many types of variations that are involved. Nature herself created what's called an evolutionary stable strategy, which means she does not want every pup in every litter to be this dominating leadership, super intelligent animal. Look what she did to humans. I mean, you can't have a world full of these big leaders all uh, everywhere, these Fortune 500 leaders, dictators of countries and presidents. You have to have people who are willing to serve them. Uh, She made it stable. She created very dominant animals and she created very submissive animals. And it keeps the system balanced. It keeps the social order 
in order. And that's really important. So therefore, when you purchase a puppy, get ready, guys. I don't care. We even lived at Kara. We did. Yeah. Uh, when I when I married Kara, she had not had a puppy in a while and she wanted a puppy. And I was kind of against the puppy because I know about rolling this dice. Uh, I, I make my living dealing with dogs who have illnesses, just like humans, mental illnesses. And therefore, I was really cautious and really a little bit nervous about the puppy acquisition phase. Uh, but I did my homework and I researched and found a top-notch breeder. Uh, she managed to survive all the questions I was going to ask. She answered them beautifully. She had a great track record. There was great genetics. Uh, a lot of great puppies had been produced by the parents. It was not their first breeding. In other words, kind of like going to Vegas. I had my abilities. I knew how to play the games and I knew, had studied a lot about the variables in the games and when to bet, when not to bet. So I went to the house. I went to the house with all that I possibly could go with. Fast forward, 14 months later, the dog is on 80 milligrams clomipramine, a tricyclic antidepressant, alprazolam, a panicolytic benzodiazepine, and now living with a federal judge who lives 30 miles northeast of Atlanta on a 300-acre Fort Knox-type compound. And the reason being is because this puppy wanted to eat anyone and everyone is extremely fearful of humans. Especially our daughter. Absolutely. Wanted to eat our daughter. Well, and that, and that was okay really at that time, but <laughs> you know, it, it's either way, we still couldn't have the dog eating our daughter. Uh, this dog was extremely maladaptive. It, no matter what, it had textbook socialization, textbook exposure, did everything that I possibly knew to do, made sure it was performed day in, day out, and we still ended up with a beautiful, absolutely beautiful dog. However, she lived up to her name, Scarlet, because that's what you bled when she bit you. <laughs> and now she has a great life. She lives with this particular federal judge, and she's now off of medications and doing well because there are no provocative events and there is no provocative stimulus that is entering into her world, hence minus all the stress, and now she's doing better. But guys, if it can happen to me, it can happen to Kira, it can happen to Joshua, I am telling you, it can happen to you. So just go into it knowing that, that not all puppies are the same. I don't care who you get them from. I don't care what kind of registration they have because nature created what's called an evolutionary stable strategy. She never created dogs suffering from mental illnesses. We did that. We did that. But you are getting the dog from a human. And, and it doesn't just have to be mental illnesses that you're rolling the dice on. Um, you know, we always talk about the Buster syndrome, people going and getting a puppy of the same breed that they once had because they want that same dog again. And you may get the complete opposite of that dog that you once had, even though it's the same breed and maybe even the same breeder. Um, it's a complete roll of dice all around the board. It doesn't just have to be mental illness. It's just temperament and, and everything. You know, it's amazing how many people don't realize that. Going, we, again, we do call it the, the old buster syndrome. And time erases a lot of bad memories. <laughs> I bet good old buster wasn't good old buster when he was eight weeks old, chewing up your furniture and, and, and eliminating all throughout the house, and so on and so forth. But we all want good old buster. And even though they go back to the same breeder, in other words, they go back to that well, hey, guys. Those of you who have more than one child, you probably get this. Mm -hmm. 
you don't get old Buster with every single child that you have. <laughs> so I don't know why people tend to think that will happen with dogs, but it doesn't. Um, so, and again, if we, we probably now just scared off half of our audience, we're going to forget it. <laughs> I was going to get a puppy. I'm not getting a puppy now. No way, no how. Thanks, Brian. I've got other things to do. So, you're probably off the air. We're probably just talking to ourselves. But those of you that have managed to hang around, well, let's get going for a few more things that you can learn just again. We're just trying to help you and even help us and definitely help me uh, to have dogs that lower our blood pressure, that enhance the value of our lives, that are a complete and, and wanted member of our family or our pack. Before we move on, I would like to scare off a few more viewers if oh, I could. No. Um, one thing that I think I run into quite often that I do want to just bring awareness to is, is when parents get puppies for children around the holiday season, I feel like not a lot of them take into consideration that a young puppy is a lot of work. And if your child is essentially under the age of about 12, they're not going to be doing the majority of the work of raising that puppy. So I hope all parents do keep in mind that that puppy is going to essentially be their puppy for a large portion of that dog's life. What stat told you 12? <laughs> I think you can dial that baby all the way up to 17, yeah, 18, right. 19. Well, and that's the, that's the other issue is I got a dog when I was 14 and, and I got really lucky. My mom actually just picked up a free Walmart puppy and ended up being my best friend. But there were a couple uh, years in my life that I was a teenager, you know, girls were getting my attention and, and not the, the dog at my house. So even though I, was obsessed with dogs. You know, I was going through a phase in my life where the dog wasn't a priority. So even teenage years is, is kind of scary and they're about to go off to college. What are they going to do with the dog then? It's scary getting a dog for a kid. Wow. I, I just learned a little bit about you, man. <laughs> well, that same daughter that Scarlett was biting that we rehomed because of that very incident, she didn't even want to drive. I mean, when she turned 16 year old, we had threatened her with her life and total imprisonment inside the house, everything just so that she would get her driver's license and drive herself to places. Well, you don't like driving in Memphis either, do you? <laughs> Let alone take care of the dog. So that was a very good point, Joshua. Okay, so let's get down to the questions that we asked what we consider, again, the top breeders in this country. And one of the, the first questions we asked was, does getting a purebred dog guarantee a healthy dog? Uh, no, it does not. Indeed, it, 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 there are so many factors involved, so many factors involved. But uh, purebred, well, again, purebred is just a word that we apply to mutts. All dogs are mutts. All dogs came from wolves. Some of those are just more of a, a narrowed down and, and a morphed version of what enhances their value to us. So they're just not as much of a mutt. I don't like using the word purebred, but again, I understand we're using the context that that is a German Shepherd and that would be a Great Dane and so on and so forth. But it does not guarantee that you'll have a, a healthy puppy just because it has an AKC registration or UKC registration or, or pink papers from Europe. It does not guarantee that your puppy will be healthy. Well, we're living that right now with Takani. I mean, he came from a great breeder and we did all our research, but he has some serious health issues. Absolutely. He really does. Uh, and we've talked about it on previous episodes, and he continues to have those issues. Our relationship with Takani is purely gastronomic. It, it just really is. It's us trying to figure out what, what will not cause him to have severe diarrhea. 
It's been very painful for him, of course, very painful for us. It's been tough, and he is an absolutely stunning, stunning, beautiful, purebred Siberian Husky with all sorts of papers, and nope, didn't help us a bit when it came to that. So, guys, if you believe in that and you're being told that by a breeder, don't. Don't even go there. And we're going to, and I'll, we're going to keep going down through these questions here, and you'll, and you'll find out why. So, moving on to the next question. A lot of breeders use the term underfoot. And now, when I heard that, I said, what, what does that mean? Why are you advertising underfoot? Let me tell you what. My dogs don't want to be underneath my feet. They really don't. You know, you ever step on a cat's tail or a dog's tail and watch what happens? You te- First of all, you step on Captain's tail. He's our cattle dog. He'll bite you. Oh, that's it. You will know it because you will be bitten immediately. He is very he has a lot of pride in that tail of his, and he places a lot of value on it. So I didn't understand what you mean underfoot. Well, what did it mean, Kira? It just meant that the dogs, the puppies didn't live in a kennel. They lived in the household with the breeder. Yeah, we, we asked that. She said inside the house, every one of them, they live in our home. They don't live in the garage. They don't live out back in a makeshift kennel. They live in our home. And why? Because they wanted them to become accustomed to this alien species, which is us. And all the sounds that happen in the household too. smells, touch, haptic signals. When their eyes open, what do I see? Dogs learn with their eyes first, touch second. They wanted them to be a part of this world to imprint on the human realm. Guys, that is really important. So it's not just a matter of following me around the house. Is being in the house and being a part of my pack, my day-to-day existence in which we have cell phones going off, alarms going off, lights being turned on, turned off, TVs on, off, so on and so forth. So that these animals will be better equipped when they're ready to now go to their future homes. So underfoot, uh, if you have a breeder that uses that term, I think that's a big plus. Big plus. I really like that. Next question, how do people find a reputable breeder? How do they find them? And, of course, I'm sitting there, you know, knowing me going, uh, Google? No, but that's <laughs> ask not. Ask Google. <laughs> yeah, ask Google. Ask, ask Google to God and say what it is. it comes out of that. No, they say ask a reputable uh, veterinarian. Ask your veterinarian because they see all of the puppies and they will know who is breeding good quality dogs. And they say you can also ask a local trainer if they have any recommendations. Uh, Only if the trainer is very familiar with the puppies uh, in in case that's the case. And we do have some of those. We do have some breeders that their dogs have uh, been in, have gone through many of our different training programs and we can vouch for them. We absolutely absolutely can because we've seen one puppy after another and it's done amazingly well with all the different programs that we offer. So yes, you can ask your local trainer, but the local trainer must have some sort of experience to draw from to make that recommendation. And it it should be something that's on a professional, personal basis. I just have a lot of experience to draw from. I was also digging around, kind of trying to find something on the internet. If somebody does go the Google route and I came across a website called qualitybreedersassociation.org. And I really liked what I saw in there. You can kind of search by type of dog. You can search by, um, well, anyways, they, they rate the breeders that they go and see in, um, on a number scale. So they have like, 
you know, a thousand to zero and you can get um, an estimate of different types of breeds and breeders and see which one fits you best. But they, they're graded on all types of things and it's very extensive on what they're graded on. And I'll put that link up on, on the show so you guys can see that. But it's uh, qualitybreedersassociation.org. There you go. I never heard of that until you mentioned that just the other day. Well, and one of the breeders that we talked to stressed that you should be allowed to go visit the breeder. You know, if it's she's breeding out of her home, I guess, then she should welcome you into her home environment. So if there's someone that you've contacted and they say, no, sorry, I'm going to meet you in the Walmart parking lot to give you your puppy. Uh, that's probably not a good idea. No. And keep in mind as well, people, most breeders, and there's nothing wrong with this, make money. It is a business model. It doesn't mean they don't yeah. love the puppies. Exactly. It doesn't mean, I mean, you can be in business and be proud of the service and feel like the service that you provide or the product that you provide will enhance the value of life on the planet Earth. You can do that and make money at the same time. You really can. But that being said, there's a lot of competition. There's more competition now in that business than there has ever been before. We have people who are not having real children. They're having fur babies instead. The uptick in the number of applications on the AKC is up by 30% just in the year 2019 alone. That's remarkable when you consider 90 million plus households have at least one dog. Now we're seeing households with multiple dogs. So therefore, supply and demand. When you have a lot of demand and you have a lot of supply, and the supply actually is greater than the demand at, at some moments, you will have competition, which then means they may say things such as, yes, uh, I, do, I do raise my, my puppies underfoot now that you mentioned that. Um, yeah, you can come see mama, but make sure that is mama. How do you yeah. know? How do you know if that's mama? Yes, do ask to see that. Do ask if the breeders uh, or, or the parents of this particular litter are proven. And when I say proven, they have made it before. This is not their first round of having offspring. You can gauge by the offspring that they had previously and draw a comparison between what they have. Now, it's a really good indicator on what they produce as a pair. If mama is skittish in any way, and I mean, you go in and she growls at you. And again, there, there's, I'm going to protect my offspring. But by the time you're going to visit, you should have asked a breeder, have other people been here or am I the first? How many people do visit your home? I mean, not even just people to visit, uh, to come take a look at the puppies, but do you have workers here? Do you have a lot of traffic in and out of your home? Uh, typically, when you're going to look at most puppies, it's about six weeks, seven weeks of age. That mother should have been exposed to a whole lot of humans being near her and her young pups. If she's growling at you, if she's backing up to the back of that kennel or she's scooting out that dog door, do not listen to, oh, I think she has to go potty. Uh, she's really not had a lot of exercise lately or whatever. I'm going to tell you personally, walk away. Walk away. Do not get sucked into those black holes. Do not let that gravitational pull pull you in. Turn around and walk away. Believe me, there's more than one breeder in this country. Walk away because mother is so important. Let me just kind of put in just a little bit of a nutshell here. 
healthy mothers. And when I say healthy mothers, I'm not just talking about, oh, she looks good, she's physically fit, and so on and so forth. I'm talking about mothers who are not suffering from depression like a human, mothers who are not abnormally fearful, mothers who are not dealing with elevated levels of glucocorticoids and so on and so forth. Healthy mothers eventually produce what we call offspring, and that offspring will then undergo appropriate parenting, which will then produce progeny well-equipped to deal with the dynamic stress of the world. So healthy mom equals appropriate parenting, which then equals progeny well-equipped to deal with life. Vice versa, unhealthy mother typically leads to inappropriate parenting, meaning young pups just now wear their senses they look, they see unfamiliar human, unfamiliar being, and here's mama going, oh, oh, those are bad. Those must be really bad. Those are horribly bad. Uh, oh my gosh, I'll take shelter with mother. Wow, things learn when puppies are that age up to about four months of age are never forgotten. So it, it, unhealthy mother equals typically inappropriate parenting, which then results in progeny ill-equipped to deal with the dynamic stressors of its environment. So guys kind of keep that in mind, but some of the questions that they say that they, these good breeders say that they get asked all the time is uh, how many dogs do they have? Yeah, I, I guess so. Again, I think that you, you're capable of managing several dogs, but at that point they say they have 50 females breeding. I think we have a problem. We have too much production. How can you maintain quality if you have so much quantity? Uh, they're asked, how do they raise the puppies? And we already talked about that underfoot about their history and experiences. Uh, ask for references. If they've had uh, sold puppies before, then they should be proud of that fact. Ask for references. And if you're gonna bother to ask, check on them. Make a phone call. Hey, how'd that work out for you? How'd that puppy work out for you that you got from a so-and-so breeder? Oh my gosh, we rehomed that thing within six months. Oh no. Okay, well, call a few. Because again, it doesn't mean all the puppies are going to be maladaptive or have or cause some sort of issue. It simply could have been them. It could have been the humans, not necessarily the pup. So just check around and look for something that's very consistent. Um, take a look at the puppies. Do they appear to be healthy? You can tell that. Uh, are they? Do they have a lot of a discharge from their nose? Are they barely able to move? Uh, are they missing? patches of fur, so on and so forth. There's a lot of ways that you can tell. Again, go by your gut instinct. Go by your gut instinct. And a good breeder will also look after the welfare of the puppies. They will ask you to take off your shoes. They will ask you to wash your hands or to even put on gloves. This is to ensure that you've not tracked into on parvovirus, uh, coccidia, anything of that sort. And now you're going to bring that right into the household to these puppies who are very vulnerable to diseases. So those are a lot of things, but me, one of the two of the, my biggest questions are, A, are the parents proven? Or is this the first time that this mating pair has ever been together? Because now you have no reference to, to go off of. And number two, I want to observe both parents, mostly the mother, but I also want to observe the father. I want to see if they approach me. I want to see if they're acting fearful or are they confident I want to see their structure. What do they even look like? About how tall is one versus the other? Yeah, you, you want to check everything out again, because this is all about stacking the deck in your favor. Again, you're not going to completely own the house, but we want to stack it in our favor. All right, the next question we got asked, should clients be allowed to pick their own puppy? Uh, 
And I was wondering what answer we would get. I from was that. too. And I was kind of surprised. Yeah. And they said, said every one of them, oh, yes. They didn't just say yes. They did that all capital yes. I mean, yes, absolutely. But if the breeder makes a recommendation for or against a certain puppy, it is always best to heed their advice. I agree. I agree. Um, they know. They're the ones that have birthed these puppies. Uh, they've been there when wealth them and They've been there from day one. They, if anyone's going to know these puppies, it's going to be that breeder. And I kind of like a breeder that says, you know, I know you've got your eyes on the one with the little red dot between the eyes. However, this one over here, that's all black. That's the perfect puppy for you and your family. Uh, again, take that from a breeder who's been doing this for years, not the one that, oh, this is my first time. I just simply wanted to breed. We had a female and a male, and I really like my female, so I wanted her to breed so I could get another one of her again, the old Buster's type syndrome. Uh, ask for that. I love when breeders do point that out. Yeah. Because they, they tend to interview you as well. In the process of interviewing you, they're asking you questions and they're learning. How many children do you have? What are the ages of these children? Uh, what is your lifestyle like? Is this all going to be compatible with your lifestyle? Do you, do you know this breed or do you just like the way this breed looks? Uh, so many things. A good breeder, man, they will grill you. And upon grilling you, they, they will make the recommendation for you. You know, a lot of times we hear people say, well, the puppy picked me. I went with this one because the puppy picked me. So is that true? Un untrue? Good? Bad? Yep. And they said, no, <laughs> Dude, it doesn't mean squat. Uh, you just happen to catch that puppy at that moment. Uh, I'm a little bit more awake than my brother over here, who is actually a better puppy that would fit us better. This one. Uh, yeah, there, there's so many things. So many people look for that. They'll go to an animal shelter and the dog that gets up from the back of the kennel and comes to the front and meets them. They think, oh, the dog picked me. Well, maybe for that particular dog, you're the only human that walked up to my gate and maybe you're bringing food, but the other ones laying in the back, wow, you're number 100 for the day. Uh, again, we do things. Why do you keep repeating things that draw no success, that have no value to it? If I walked up to a gate and the gate doesn't open, no one provides me food or, or takes me out, then it's kind of like crying wolf. Just yeah. how many darn humans. And so I don't take stock in the fact that the dog doesn't get up from the back. It could be tired. It didn't sleep well last night. It didn't, it's, its stomach isn't feeling very good. I look for other indicators. And same thing with the puppies. And we'll get to that in a second. It's so funny knowing that this show is coming up. Some, me and some of the trainers were talking about our experiences of us picking out our dogs. And it was really funny how similar so many of them were because I remember, um, going and picking out my Malinois out of the three that were left of the litter and they were all female. And here are two uh, or three, uh, I think they were 10 weeks old at the time, jumping eight foot kennels, jumping <laughs> all the way up to the top, barking and lunging. And then I looked over and I saw the one that I ended up going with because she was sitting in the corner with her arms crossed and all polite and calm. And I was like, yeah, that's the one I want. Well, that didn't do me any good. She's just as crazy as the rest. <laughs> yes, and then one is. of our other trainers had a very similar situation of where they picked out the puppy that was sleeping because they're like, oh, that one's calm and relaxed and the other ones are all crazy. And that helped them out zero. There was no, I was like, what they didn't tell you is that 
he was sleeping because he was just going really hard for the last like three hours straight. <laughs> yep, and you just exactly. haven't yeah. catch it yeah. that moment there. Yeah. Yep. I think you do have to interview the breeder. The breeder will interview you, but you have to ask a lot of questions. And nowadays with all the technology, many, many of them have the cameras. And I think those are fantastic as long as they can mark the puppies. But before you even pick one out, many of them will allow you just watch the yelp, the, the, the whole process, watch them feeding off a of mother, uh, which one is getting really big versus all the rest of them. Or, you know, just look for the totality of the whole thing, the whole situation. Now, one thing I will tell you, there's one thing like you, Joshua, and, and some of the other trainers to pick out the dog that is asleep, lying there with his arms folded and just looking back at you versus so many of us want to root for the underdog. We want the runt. We don't want the number one dog. We want number six out of six. We're going to show the rest of the world. We're going to save this dog. When you look at the back of the kennel and that dog is fearful and you can tell the eyes are very wide. Typically, if there's a tail, it's tucked. The ears are back. It's trembling. And the rest of the pups are up front. Don't go with that one. I'm just going to tell you that from a professional point of view. Don't go with that particular puppy. Uh, watch out because that's an indicator. You're not even old enough yet to know what real fear is. Your brain has not developed to a point where your identification of friend or foe has developed to such a point that you're accurate in your assessment. Why? Because you're supposed to be under the protective custody of your mother. And yet you're still in the back, which means we had improper gene expression when the brain was developing, meaning again, unhealthy mother, know this. When I say that unhealthy goes into the womb, mother takes her experiences into her womb. It doesn't just matter what her genetic makeup is. She takes her experiences into the womb. There are tons of studies on this. You can just look them up yourself. But now with brain mapping and brain imaging, we are seeing in the results of children that are being adopted while they're infants. The mother gives them up within days of birth and they're being adopted. This child grows up to suffer from severe depression. The mother, the adopting mother, nothing. She's perfectly fine. So, and again, it comes back to nurture or nature. Mm -hmm. And then when they track back and are able to track back to the biological mother, she is very suicidal. She's very depressed as well. So, again, it goes into the womb. When you have a puppy in the back of that run and it's shaking, and this happens consistently, especially if you're observing it on a camera, this is an animal that is already predisposed, predisposed to not have the biology to deal with the dynamic stressors of the environment, predisposed genes of different variations, genes and brain cells that become excited under certain stimulus, certain provocative events that would not occur with the other pups that are at the front of that gate. So, man, I, that is probably the biggest thing that I can advise you. Why? Because I deal with the aftermath of that when it's two years old, three years old. Every single time, we were just talking about this the other day, Joshua, every single time, 40 years now, guys, 40 years, I've asked this question, where do you get the dog? In fact, you have to fill it out on my form. And when they say, I got it from a breeder, I ask, how was mother? Oh, mother was nervous. Every one of them. 
tell me about this puppy. Well, it was in the back. It was the runt. It was acting fearful. But I figured, you know, if I took it home and I, I could, I could make it better. Every one of them, a thousand for a thousand, ten thousand for ten thousand. I don't even know what the number of, of clients that I've seen. Be very careful. Just kind of keep in heart. I know this can sound cold, but sometimes life isn't worth living. It just isn't. These dogs, they live a horrible life. They're afraid of everything. Imagine that yourself. In the wild, it would not survive. It simply wouldn't. But this is up to the breeder. The breeder is the one that's in this business. You've got to deal with the breeder. Let her make that choice. You don't need to bring this into your household and deal with that. And I know that can sound cruel and I know that can sound hard. I'm just telling you pure fact. If you're already fearful at that age and you're not even old enough to be fearful, oh my, we have a problem, especially as the brain develops. You can't untwist chromosomes. They're there. It's already there. You already have a pink horizon. Be very careful with that. Okay, so enough of that. Uh, one of the last questions we ask, what, and this is a really important question, what is the best age to bring a puppy home from a breeder? I, gosh, I get asked that all the time. Mm-hmm. People ask that all the time. And how many answers do you get? A bunch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Varying answers. And even if you go to science and look up scientific reports, you'll get varying answers. For instance, uh, Dr. Ludvika Peretti uh, over at the European Board of Veterinary Behavioral Medicine did a study back in 2011, and it showed that for 70 adult dogs who as puppies had been separated from their mother and litter at 30 to 40 days. Okay, so I'll pause a second, let everyone do the math. Okay, how old is that? And then with 70 dogs who as puppies were not separated until after eight weeks. An early age of separation was a significant predictor for excessive barking, fearfulness on walks, reactivity to noises, toy possessiveness, food possessiveness, and attention-seeking behavior. Dogs adopted early away from their litter were also more at risk for destructive behavior than dogs who had been permitted to stay with their litter through eight weeks. Okay, so this was a study that was done and basically it's telling you definitely after eight weeks. Don't get a puppy until after eight weeks. Don't get a puppy around six weeks or or definitely not before that because you run the risk that you will have all these symptoms that they see. I agree wholeheartedly because I've seen them. Even before I knew that this report existed, I'd already been seeing dogs way before 2011. Be very careful. I would highly advise that you do not adopt the dog before the age of eight weeks at all. You know, in the besides just some of these symptoms that they're seeing, one of the big things that I've seen um, just when I've raised puppies and, um, you know, raising service dog puppies and things like that, that the social skills that they get from sticking with their, their litter mates, you know, I've even pushed them out to 10 to 12 weeks with their litter mates just to develop that social awareness. You start to see these a lot, a lot more socially intelligent animals come out of um, letters that they stay, they stick with for longer. And is there an age that's too old to get the puppies? Is it harmful for them to be with their litter mates until they're 16, 18 weeks? Again, and you go for averages. There's always that one pup that just stands out. You can adopt that thing at nine years of age. It'll be perfectly fine. You can adopt it at nine days of age. It's going to be perfectly fine. You, there's always those that stand out. So we look for 
averages. We look for common behavioral responses, so on and so forth. And yes, uh, typically, uh, uh, other studies have been done. This one by Dr. Daniel Pirelli. You know, I know the name sounds familiar or, or similar to the other name, but it's not uh, up at UPenn Vet. And he determined that dogs that were raised, that were taken later in life at about 14 weeks or greater, those dogs grew up with a much stronger social awareness to dogs. They had been around dogs, so they imprinted to dogs. And therefore, they had a tendency to be more fearful and more reactive to unfamiliar humans because all their imprinting had been to dogs. And on the flip side, dogs taken before six weeks of age showed a strong attachment to humans, a strong social awareness to humans, not so much to dogs. So now these are the owners who have a dog who is reactive to unfamiliar dogs. Imprinting is everything. He took the study even further and took dogs at birth away from their mother raised them, bottle fed them, took care of them. And when their senses were available to them, their senses were only allowed to have contact with cats. And at 14 weeks of age, these dogs did not know a dog. They only knew a cat. Imprinting is everything. The vast majority of the studies lean towards eight to eight and a half weeks. Um, you know, in both kennel and field situations, the strongest attachment to location and companions occurs at about six to seven weeks. But here's the issue. So a lot of people jump on that and go, well, isn't that when I should take them? No, that's just when the attachment is occurring, but it still has time to make an adjustment because why most people pick up their puppies and what's the first behavior they start to work on? Housebreaking. Oh, of course. Housebreaking, yeah. right off the bat. And it is absolutely positive science that puppies begin to form substrate and location preferences for elimination by eight and a half weeks. This is the period when they first have sufficient cortical development to learn about substrates and choose to act on them while also having sufficient physical and behavioral abilities to inhibit elimin elimination. So again, you get a six-week-old puppy, you bring it home, and you immediately start housebreaking. Pup can't do it. I just don't have the capacity to do it. And two weeks into it, you're frustrated. You think, what pup did I get, you know, on the intelligence factor? What did I, is there something wrong with this pup? I don't want this pup anymore. Or you start to punish it. And now we have a dog growing up who is fearful of certain gestures, human movement, uh, voices, you name it. It's just all bad. And we'll talk about that more during next week's episode because this is actually a two-part. First one is, if you're going to get a puppy, here's what to watch out for. Second part is, okay, you decided, you got your puppy. Now, how do you transition that puppy into your home? What do you need to know? What should you do? What should you not do? Um, so really, to kind of wrap up this little puppy section here, a couple just other little pointers out there. I'm just going to reiterate. Be careful about buying the runt or the leftover. If they tell you this is the last one I have, the last one, really? Why, why, why is this one the last one? Be honest with me. I mean, eight of them went out the door already and we're left with this one. Why didn't those other people pick out this one? Why did they pick out the other ones instead? Look for an honest answer. Sometimes, again, I'm, again, it is what it is. You're dealing with humans and humans will err and humans will mislead. I've been told right to my face, oh, I was saving that one. That one has special qualities. I was thinking about maybe keeping it and breeding it later. No, you weren't. You were not doing that. 
So again, when you go into these situations, do not turn off all of your senses. Do not stare at those puppy eyes. Stare into the eyes of the breeder. Ask them questions, point blank questions. Make sure that they're transparent. Don't let them just feed you something. And if they do and you're, you're inside the pit of your stomach and that hair on the back of your neck starts rising and something's going, you know, that isn't really making any sense. Again, mm. walk away. I don't care if you even paid a deposit. You can keep it. Keep it. If you can live with it, I can live without it. Walk away. The bigger mistake would be to go ahead and take that puppy. Uh, make sure they match your lifestyle. Make sure if you have children that your young children are not going to harm this young puppy. They sometimes want to pick them up and they drop them. All sorts of issues. So take that into account. And do you have the, uh, can you even afford a dog? Kind of this statistic that just came out here recently, uh, according to the AKC is, can you afford a dog? They say that the average person spends $1,200 the very first year they have the pup. And that's probably just due to the, you have to get your second or third series of vaccinations, rabies shots, so on and so forth. And then they say that the average person spends about $500 a year thereafter. And I think that is incredibly low. Yeah, I really would low. agree. Where, yes. did, where did you get that? Yeah. I mean, I just see what we pay for dog food. Even one dog. Go shop right now for a quality bag of dog food. It's about 35 pounds. And see what that is. And see how long it takes your dog to go through that bag. Uh, most dogs, three weeks to a month. So just do the math because that thing's going to be near $100, anywhere from $80 to $100. Multiply that times 12, and then we're not even talking about vaccinations or anything else. I think the 500 per year is, is way low. Mm -hmm. I think it's more consistent with the first year. Every year thereafter is going to match the first year. And I guess that is only if the dog is being given the bare minimums in order to like survive. I mean, that's not including if you go get a dog bone and, and treats to train and yeah, and colors, no boarding when you go out of town, right. no yeah. daycare yeah. for the dog. Things yeah. Like that. And subscription boxes, yeah. with all those treats yeah. and training. And yeah. I, I think it's low. So a lot of people really do need to take that into account. Can I afford the dog? And always, always worst case scenario, think worst case. Cause mm -hmm. if it doesn't happen, great. You got extra money. How does it affect your lifestyle? Did you know that you actually have to spend time with them? <laughs> you really do. I, again, I'm just, this is what I do. I, I'm, <laughs> I don't know if I'll ever quit being surprised or whatever, yeah, I know. but I got the dog. I just heard this recently. I got the dog and I didn't realize that it couldn't hold it for like 12 hours. You know, dude, uh, after all that was affecting my time out, I work. And then after work, I usually meet up with my buddies and we go out and we have a couple of beers and so on and so forth. Wow. Why did you get a dog? No, I'm sorry. Your 10 week old puppy can't hold it for 12 hours. I don't care what you're feeding it. I don't care what you're doing. It can not hold it for that long. And then of course you have to ask, can you hold it for that long? And of course you get the eyes looking left, eyes looking right. <laughs> In other words, I'm trying to look for a way out of here. Think about it, guys. Your lifestyle is going to change for sure. It is going to cost you more money. Uh, there can be problems along the way. There can be incompatibility issues. There can be health issues. There can be accidents and injuries. Take all of this into account. And if you say, I can handle it. I've got the money. I understand this. This can happen. I'm willing to take the chance. I really want a dog in my life. Then go for it. 
And if it works out, I am here to tell you, it's just nothing better. There just isn't. It's really a cool thing when you have a dog that, you know, just makes your heart go pitter patter and you got to brag on them all the time and, and you look forward to seeing them. And when you bored them, you're immediately calling back about two hours later, kind of shamefully going, is my dog okay? Does he miss me? Does my dog miss me? I missed my dog. And would you tell him, would you give him hugs and kisses for me and all that sort of stuff? And, and then you hang up the phone and you look around to make sure no one heard you, uh, heard that phone <laughs> conversation. It's a really cool thing, guys. All right. If you have any other questions, uh, send them in to us, Brian with the Y at TamingTheWild.com. We'll be glad to help you out. Next week, for sure, we'll be talking about, now that you've got the puppy, what, how do you bring that thing into your home? Because there are some major do's and don'ts involved with that. So we've eaten up a lot of our time here, but I do think we have time for at least one or two questions. So let's, let's try and knock out a few of them. Let's do it because we have to apologize to Julie for not getting to her question last week. Oh my gosh. So Sorry, Julie. Get this one. Okay. She says, a trainer described my dog as reactive. What does that mean? Okay. Typically, when you hear the term reactive in the behavioral world, especially in the dog training world, it is a dog that will respond to the presence of another dog or a human or a certain sound, uh, even thunderstorms, so on and so forth, at levels that are not typical or what we, or what we would uh, denote as normal. Case in point. If all of us, me, Joshua, Kira, we're walking down the highway and some car backfires, it would be normal for us to all go, oh my, maybe jump two feet in the air. But our brain should very quickly be able to assess that that was a car backfiring. It wasn't someone firing a gun in our direction. And we should recover quickly from that and carry on our conversation and our little journey. However, about 15 minutes later, if Joshua and I look over, and Kira is still shaking in her boots. We're probably going to give each other a little eye and go, mm, I wonder what's up with her. And there's something really, she's really reactive to cars backfiring. So that's what it means. It's a dog that exhibits behavioral traits or responses that are elevated over the top, overcompensated, overreaction. They're, they are reactive. Tib, uh, in case in point, the other dog would not be so reactive. Now, I will say that that is our definition and what we would consider the correct definition, but I hear the word reactive thrown around so incorrectly and overused by other trainers so often. Um, I've, I've heard it um, just described, the best way that I can describe that I've hear, heard it most often, often by other trainers is that the dog reacts to something rather than is conditioned to something. So if the dog sees a squirrel and chases it, that's a reactive dog versus the dog sit and staying because the dog didn't react. Does that make sense? It didn't, it doesn't make that much sense to me, but that's how I've heard it explained to me by another trainer. And I'm going, okay. Did you okay. give them an education? I did. <laughs> well, you know, I try to bite my tongue a lot, but sometimes <laughs> the tongue biting hurts. So I stop. <clears throat> if, it is ever explained to you like that. Yeah. Put your AirPods in, turn up the volume on your iPhone, walk away. We have a problem. That is not what reactive means in the neurobiological world at all. And reactive does not always mean aggression. That's no. the other thing that I've heard it associated with is that they will use the term aggression, aggressive and reactive almost um, as synonyms. They don't 
they don't distinguish the difference. Well, if I went and dove underneath our, my bed every time there was lightning, that I would be reactive to the stimulus of the lightning. It does not mean, in, in most cases, as a matter of fact, even the aggression is, the causality of the aggression is the fearfulness that's right. associated with that particular stimulus. So the dog is responding in an abnormal way, taking the stress response is reaching abnormal levels due to the presence of a, a particular stimulus or undergoing a provocative event. That's what it means. So it doesn't mean it's all bad. That's the definition. So I hope that helps, Julie, and I appreciate uh, your patience and us answering that for you. Well, and I think we should mention, too, that if you have a reactive dog, there's help for them. They don't have to live the rest of their life oh, yeah. being reactive. One of the programs that we have here that is just the most amazing to me to watch these dogs go through is our reactive dog program. To see them come in and overreact to everything. And then by the time they're ready to go home, their turnover lesson, it's amazing to watch them and watch that confidence build. And I just love it. You know, I talk to people all the time about procedural memory, and that is the memory that is uh, in in your head when you have learned something so well, it has become such a deep habit that's now instinct. Again, I always use the example of the red light, green light. They, They said we had to start going on red and stopping on green, we, that's called, you're now trying to jam procedural memory into explicit channels. That's very difficult to do. So we have a lot of dogs that at a very young age, very impressionable during the formidable months of their life, they developed a coping mechanism to a certain event, to a certain person, to a certain look and so on and so forth. And they repeat it. It gets repeatedly reinforced. Case in point, you're walking your dog and I'm okay with humans. I'm just not okay with unfamiliar dogs. So I go rah, 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 while those people keep going because probably they live that way. But your dog thinks, wow, my actions caused that outcome and it gets reinforced because I walk every single day. Well, fast forward about a year and now all of a sudden you have an animal who is operating on autopilot operating off a procedural memory. And all you have to do is now through explicit channels, teach something different. Say, you know what? That that doesn't really work. That doesn't work for me. Here, why don't we try this? We'll just stop and you'll sit and you'll be quiet and they will pass by. And guess what? The exact same outcome will occur. And the neat thing about dogs versus humans, they only repeat what they have success with. And they will drop that old coping mechanism and adopt that new one. And by golly, you now have a dog that was reactive to a certain stimulus, no longer reactive to it. Or at least if it is, it's now choosing a different way to deal with it, a different coping mechanism. You know, and all that takes is a lot of social support, well-timed communication. And Karen, I'm glad that you mentioned, you know, that there is hope for these reactive dogs because I get shocked all the time when I call these people these people, our clients, the dog's owners. Um, and I let them know, you know, hey, I'm just giving you a call, let you know how your dog's doing. And they're going, oh my gosh, I'm so glad to hear it. Have they been around dogs yet? And I'm <laughs> going, yeah, they, they've been around dogs the whole time that they're here. And, and how are they doing? Are they still reacting and biting? No, they're they're lying down next to dogs now. And they're going, what? I mean, they almost can't believe it. So even yeah. people who sign up for our program, don't even realize that there is that much help for mm-hmm. reactive dogs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and we say reactive again, just to really kind of with the explanation we gave to Julie, 
we recently had a couple of dogs go home that were reactive to being in a kennel, yeah, yeah. being confined in a crate. And they no longer are. They're sound asleep. It's really funny when the owner walks in and sees them and they're laying on their back in the crate snoring. It, you can change things. It's simply, it's as though if the dog could, could talk and say, I don't even realize what I did. I, I just saw a crate and, and next thing I know, someone's letting me out of it. Or I see someone approaching with a dog and what did I do? Didn't really, I acted like that. It is so autopilot, so take over. Again, this is where the, in this situation, the dog has convinced itself, its own brain has convinced itself that I don't need you overthinking this dog. We'll take over. And literally the brain does. It takes over at that moment. It has, it has risen to that level many times before. And once that happens, guys, it's a habit. And, you know, you may be having the best time and think, wow, this is the coolest crate I've ever been in. <laughs> they got the best treats in here. They got the best darn toys in here. Ah, oh, but God, I got to get out. <laughs> no, you just got to show them a different way. That's all you have to do. Yep. Okay. Uh, do we have time for one more question? I think if we, if it's as long as it's a short question, I think we can get on it. Okay. Maybe this one's short. I never know for sure with you. This is from Jeremy. <laughs> he says, can dogs be stupid? I've been trying to train my dog to sit for his food and wait until I give him the okay, but he just can't get it. He's a 10-month-old chocolate lab, and I think I got the only stupid one in the litter. I am so frustrated. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we only have a couple minutes here. First of all, let me answer the first question. Yes. Yes. We yeah. have one and of those. We're done. <laughs> we can get two questions in now because that's a short one. Yes, dogs can be. Yes. Yeah. Amen. I own one. I, I own the number one of all. I love you, Takani, but I'm telling you what. Uh, you know, they say when you're born, you're given a certain amount of brain cells. That's it. That's it. It is what it is. Okay, his his can be counted with one digit, I think, <laughs> not even two digits. You bet you they can be. Uh, but on the serious side, what you want to look for is make sure your training makes sense to the dog. It could be a communication. Maybe I just don't understand what you're asking of me. And when you do that, we do it all the time. People all the time, they'll tell their dog to sit, stay, and they'll put the food bowl down. There's many components to that, many parts to that. That's not just one thing. That is about 12 things all combined together, like little dots that you put on a paper and then you draw a line between the dots. You have to make sure every dot stands out. So if I was going to teach that, we had to, we did. We he did, did learn that. Takani learned that. We did teach that to Takani. <laughs> uh, keep in mind this. First of all, do you even know what sit means? So let's go train sit away from the dinner bowl, uh, food bowl. Then number two, do you know what stay means? No, let's go train that. Make sure we train that away from the food bowl. And then did you know that now, starting now, because we didn't do this the first six months of your life, that when we lower that food bowl to the food stand, again, habit takes over. He immediately launches out the sit and dives into the food bowl. Now you throw in a variable. Now you actually stay until the food bowl is in the pan. And now I let you go to it. And then eventually and you you don't go until I tell you you can go to it. Wow. There, I just named off about five or six uh, little uh, steps right there alone. Mm -hmm. So, again, break down every single step. Make sure you're doing all those steps correctly. All right, guys, we've run out of time. We've got to get going. Next week, 
We are going to be talking about transitioning that puppy into your home. What to do, what not to do. We're going to be talking about social support. What happens when I leave my litter and all of a sudden I'm surrounded by a bunch of screaming kids. Uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about what happens in the holidays. I mean, we, you hear a lot of ho, 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 but the dog hears no, no, no. There's many things that occur in the upcoming weeks. So stay tuned for that. And in the meantime, have a great week, guys. And if you're out shopping for a puppy and you have questions still, reach out to us. We'll be glad to answer them any way that we can. Till then, have a great week. See you next time. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join host Brian Bailey again for another edition of Taming the Wild and Your Dog next Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Your dog's welfare and your life may depend on it. 